All right, should we uh, start this thing? <laughs> Let's start this thing. Sorry, I'm distracted. What? Hot flash. Go ahead. Hot. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kirscher and Wendy Bowlesby. Dear listeners to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome, I am one of your hosts, Melissa. Wendy is not here with me right now because this is only a bit of intro for what you are about to hear. Wendy and I are both traveling for a couple weeks, so today we are bringing to you something from our archives. Back in 2016 or 2017, whenever it was when we stopped releasing episodes for several years, we actually still had a few recorded episodes that were never edited or released. Today, one of those episodes is emerging from the vaults, shambling into the light of day, blinking in the sun, and wondering why people are wearing face masks at airports. This episode was recorded on April 19th, 2016. It's in our former format, where we picked a movie-related subject and talked about that for a very long time, and we were also very likely quite drunk. It is also from the backup Skype recording from our session, because one of the individual audio tracks was lost. Thus, the audio isn't as clean as I usually like it to be. Anyway, please enjoy this glance into the past. Welcome, dear listeners, to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa, and I am joined, as always, by my partner across the country, Wendy. Way to take a cue, Wendy. All right. I I can. I can't take a cue. It's true. You are well trained. And this week, we are joined by the wonderful, the amazing David Canfield. Say hi, David. Hi, David. Yay. (laughs) Yay. We are try locationally recording tonight for the first time listeners it's very exciting yeah it's minneapolis chicago and uh, austin so we're we're all over the place today this is wow, this, is, made a, this <laughs> is like a great big bermuda triangle of awesome <laughs> of, of awesome all the awesome just disappears into it is that what you're saying or never just to be saying seen this again, might or? be the, this might be the coolest that iowa's ever been being okay. in, inside that triangle <laughs> this is a, a sharknado of joy I'm hoping something emerges. From this is a it's it's like a squirrel hurricane uh, launched yes. into the nut patch of existence, ready to spring forth in in due time with the fruits of its labor, low hanging to be picked by the children who seek wisdom. Is that a I was going to applaud? I, I was did going not to have that. Did not have that scripted. <laughs> I was going to applaud your figurative language, but the run-on sentence kind of overrode that. Oh, English teacher for the win. Oh, my. <laughs> well, fine. It was still a moment in time. <sighs> All right. Everybody, what are we drinking? We are drinking 
Well, I am drinking the last, the tiniest little dregs that were left in my bottle of Glenlivet. So it's uh, ah. a couple of couple of little sips left, and that's it. And then I move on to the jug of Bushmills that I own. Oh god! Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you're starting with the Glenlivet. So well, you, you know, really you start with the good stuff, and then you go downhill because you care less like- and less. <laughs> It, I, I'm just saying I know that trajectory well. Um, I am drinking uh, sangria, like, you know, the yellowtail sangria that costs like $5 at Target because I am that cheap. Thank you. <laughs> well, at, at least you admit it to yourself. I'm, uh, I'm eating. Hang on. One second. One second. Sorry, I'm eating peeps throughout the broadcast. Oh God! Uh, just because I have so many left over, um, and then I'll be drinking uh, to celebrate how much I regretted that decision. So, I uh, thought I might uh, do this actually uh, sober tonight. Uh, That's okay. Know. It's good to oh, have. It's good to have a designated podcaster, <laughs> as we found recently. I'm gonna bring us home one way or another. Yeah, I, I, recently I've been the sober one because I. I've cut down on my drinking, and uh, yeah, tonight I'll I'll be a little bit more adventurous. So yeah, hey, a little bit looser. Yeah, I uh, I also have Mendota sparkling water with me, so that is highly recommended. Oh, did you finish off the H E B? I did. It was Spark- delightful. I know, right? So good. So good. So good. Don't call you know, it heap. Don't heap. call it heap. <laughs> Recently, I, I did get to enjoy some whiskey courtesy of the uh, good folks at, I don't know, something, something PR that uh, sent this huge crate of Hateful Eight stuff my way. And in it was this tiny little airline sized bottle of whiskey. And uh, wasn't that good, actually? It was, you know, you kind of think, man, that, this this is the, 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 the dirt whiskey that they used to drink back then. But it was, I don't know. It's grateful to get it. Well, nice. I mean, you know, the key thing to cool whiskey that was made back then is that it um, it was safer to drink than the water. So, yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. True. Totally well, true. Maybe, that is history, man. That is truth. They just know that I'm a lightweight, so they decided to, you know, we don't want to <laughs> kill him. Just, just that much. Just a little. Just a little. <laughs> what, right. what, what is in hey, the Melissa. care package from uh, Hateful Eight, by the way? Oh my gosh, it came in this huge wooden slack crate. Oh my god. Um with a hand thrown um terracotta whiskey jug. <gasps> uh, uh with a cork and a clay handle on it and like a clay oh. cap. It had um a tin mug from Minnie's uh, haberdashery. Nice. Uh some coffee, some peppermint and uh uh and a bunch of Batman Forever merch. I don't know. I guess they just ran out of stuff put in it. And, uh, you know, still got that shit laying around. So, you know. Wow. <laughs> Let's be honest. Minnie would be selling that. Minnie yeah, like, probably can make a profit on it. She'd have a bargain bin. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. What's our topic, Melissa? Our topic. Our topic tonight. Or today, depending on when you're listening. Dear listeners, yeah. we do not judge. Our topic is... When nature attacks, da, da, da. A, a subject that is near and dear to David's heart. By the way, uh, David here, if you're not, uh, if you dear listeners are not familiar with Mr. David Canfield, he, you still work for Twitch Film, right? 
Yeah, I'm one of the lucky uh, nine. You know how they talk about the Disney's nine old men? I'm one of the nine old men that helped uh, launch Twitch Film awesome. back in the day. See of the brilliance of uh, editor-in-chief and all-around Zod, Todd Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, been doing that for a number of years. And now uh, on Twitch, um, basically, I do a podcast, and it's called Human Side. So super, super excited to uh, be doing that because I think it's a real much more natural medium for my humanity. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. We'll link that in the show notes, dear listeners. So we know David because of Mm Butnumathon and Fantastic Fest. I remember, oh, uh, several, several five years ago, my husband and I were flying into Butnumathon in Austin. And uh, David was on the same flight or he was or or you walked by no i think it was that you walked by right after we were outside waiting for a pickup and you walked by yep. and my husband looked at you cuz you were wearing a gryffindor scarf and my husband said look it's gryffindor isaac asimov i bet he's going to buttonomathon <laughs> and that is how you have been remembered all these years david i had those gryffindor. massive chops back then yeah. i really yeah. did look like Isaac Asimov. Yeah, you were one Isaac Asimov looking motherfucker. Gryffindor <laughs> <laughs> Isaac Asimov. I, I thought he's thought, going to Budnumathon. I always thought that Isaac Asimov should be the one doing those Dosakis commercials, you know, the world's most interesting man. Wouldn't that be great? Isaac That'd be Asimov. Interesting. That would be I interesting. Always, I don't always write books, my friend, but when I do, I write 400,000 fucking books. That's right. I 400,000 of them, and now I'm going to drink. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, yes. So the, so the one nature attacks subject is near and dear to David's heart. So uh, oh, yeah. would you like to launch us off into what draws you to this family of cinema history? Like you I, said something about the decades and then oh, you yeah. had a great definition. So yeah, take it away, David. Well, I got to start with a, a super short personal reminiscence. Mm-hmm. I uh, am part of the dying breed. I turned 50 this year. And so I'm part of the dying breed of people who remember sneaking downstairs to watch TV when their parents weren't around and playing with the rabbit ears and doing whatever you could to catch obscure things on TV late at night because that was literally the only time that you would ever get to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you combed the pages of famous monsters and you combed the, 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 um, uh, TV guide and, you know, underlined it and everything. But, uh, I caught a ton of movies that way. And a ton of the movies I caught happened to be these really weird seventies, um, sort of exploitation horror movies and a huge chunk of those um, were Nature Strikes Back films. So I have all these super fond memories um, of, you know, movies like Reptilicus and uh, <laughs> uh, Phase 4 and F- Food of the Gods and, you know, Frogs is a big one. I don't know if we're going to get around to talking about that today. Um, early role for uh, Sam Neill. Um no, it wasn't Sam. It was, there, it was Sam Elliott. Oh, you're right. That's right. Sam because, Elliott. Because I remember his pants because, wow, they were tight. <laughs> they were really tight. <laughs> and they were so tight his mustache fell off. He didn't have his mustache. Yeah, yet. that was really <laughs> freaky to me. It's like, <laughs> I am uncomfortable with a lack of mustache, but man, those pants. 
<laughs> it's like you can tell so, which way he dressed, you know? It's uh Yeah. I'm not yeah. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so like everybody yeah. else, so like everybody else, for me, I was tuning into the zeitgeist. I was mm-hmm. tuning into a place and uh, in my head that was being informed by a lot of things at that time. And I'm thinking about TV shows like uh, In Search Of. I'm thinking about the sort of general fascination with spirituality that you see in movies like Late Great Planet Earth. Uh, it seemed like everybody was talking in larger than life apocalyptic um, or very mystical terms about existence and history and everything. And, you know, man, that just lit me on fire. You know, I just, mm-hmm. you know, I was a true believer from it, from an early age in, in, uh, the, that kind of magic, you know, and, and where it could take you. I would, you know, come home from the library with like 40 books at a time. Um, and I, you know, I think in a, in a large part, it was, you know, those sort of clunky movies that, uh, you know, people might not remember them as masterpieces, but they still watch them. Um, and uh, they still have the power to speak. You know, still a lot of those movies still have the power to speak to me, um, which which uh, kind of blows my mind. You know how how deeply you can imprint and bond on just on just different things. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's great. I was, I was thinking that I do have, um, I do have a definition mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Uh, that I that I worked up based on the list that you sent. And I tell you what, if you ever need a movie list. Get a hold of Melissa. Holy moly. She, she, she. <laughs> I know, right? Nature Strikes Back movie I could think of was on that list. I actually did come up with a couple uh, that weren't on there, but it took me a while. Um, I would say that the primary theme that defines uh, nature attacks uh, uh, cinema is um, that uh, we see nature attack man because of whatever the current real life bogey is. Mm-hmm. If you go back to the film. 50s, you see atomic energy and the bomb are the problem. Uh, in in the 70s, which is probably the richest period for Nature Strikes Back films, the the boogeyman is pollution. Um, and uh, beyond that, you just sort of see it used um, as sort of a thin disguise for genre mechanics mm-hmm. and people people having fun. Um, but uh, those are probably the two the two biggest themes. I mean, you do get precursors. Uh, like uh, the island of Dr. Moreau and King Kong in the 30s. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, that doesn't really flower until the 50s. And then you have a huge array of monster movies. And I know we're going to talk about a couple of them. Um, we think of the, you know, the big monster stomping cities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and- Godzilla is a pretty pure form of what you just defined. <laughs> oh, yeah. And when you examine the relationship between them and uh, uh, which I know Wendy's going to talk about, and Tarantula, uh, which I think then really helped launch and maintain that cycle uh, that we associate with the 1950s of big, big bug monster, nature strikes back type films. Um, you, it's pretty fascinating to see how one begets the other. Um, the 70s, of course, you know, is is just huge. I mean, it, you explode. It, it it's it's. Um, uh, 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 you know, we have even one movie that I'm going to be talking about called the Hellstrom Chronicle that won the Oscar mm-hmm. for documentary that year, uh, was a nature strikes back, uh, film, but, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Yeah, yeah, let's quit let's talking go. about what we're going to talk about. Let's just talk about them. Okay. <laughs> I think that's good. We'll, we'll just launch in. Just launch. Let's just do it. Like jump in with both feet. Like just jump that's... into the lake. 
Oh, it's yes. bad. That's what happens in these Nature Strikes Back movies. You just jump in, you slap it on a, you slap it on a lunchbox, and you just, you know, you know, Quote life Jeff finds Goldblum. way, and you get eaten <laughs> by dinosaurs. Quote Jeff Goldblum: "You were so busy seeing if you could, you didn't think if you should, mm-hmm. right? Right? Should. Jurassic Park, man. Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 All right, who's gonna start? Where are we gonna start? Jeff Goldblum snicker. Well, wait, Snickers. Uh, okay, I might be hungry. What? <laughs> oh dear, Great I'm googly googly. hungry already. on the ground, the ants will get you. It's you know. Great googly moogly. Well, well speak of ants. Am... Go for it, Wendy. Go out Take with... the ants. I'm gonna go out. Okay, hold on. I say. I... Oh. What? What? Melissa, mm? I need to tell you. I'm gonna go out later, have a walk with Jess, and I am probably gonna end up at Jim's. <laughs> and I'll be thinking of you, my friend. I will. Oh, eat eat eggs for me. I will. Okay. Anyway, so moving forward, what are we going to talk about? Well, I guess you're going to talk about them. I think you should talk about ants, Wendy. Giant ones. Let's let's cover the pronouns first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> comedy. Parts of speech comedy. Like All right. Nice. So them, very important with an exclamation point. Not just them, motherfuckers. Them! Mm-hmm. So, um, this movie is one of the earliest films I remember seeing. This was definitely in that Saturday afternoon matinee on Channel 32, right? Your local cable, right? We always had, like, yeah. the monster matinee double feature in the afternoons on Saturdays. Or, or on UHF. Yeah. Mm. Uh, like that. Yeah. But them was one. And my mom, of course, we all know, regular listeners know my mom was definitely an enabler in my movie love. And she she was like, yeah, let's watch this. And though I was terrified of scary movies. For some reason, this movie didn't scare me. I just loved it. Uh, I, I loved like I thought the ants kind of actually looked cool and I was pretty confident that an ant could never actually get big enough to hurt me. So I was, I felt very free to just enjoy it. So listeners, if you've never seen them, this is one of the classics of the um, atomic monster era because the earliest atomic tests in New Mexico caused common ants to mutate into giant man-eating monsters that threaten civilization. Never mind that they just, you know, collapse into goo because they wouldn't be able to support the exoskeleton. The exoskeleton would be tough enough, Melissa. It's it's atomic exoskeleton. But surface area uh, multiplies a geometric exoskeleton. Atomic exoskeleton, Melissa. McFarland Press put out a great book called The Biology of Science Fiction. If you want to ever uh, read up on the science of why uh, Melissa's right and Wendy's wrong. But anyway. Uh, 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 you know, you, you you can say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Okay. This is a fucking hell of a cast, too. It's got James Whitmore mm-hmm. as Police Sergeant Ben Peterson and Edmund Gwynn. Yay. So you got Santa Claus. Yeah, from Miracle on 34th Street. With uh, James Whitmore, who um, who was in uh, Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Two of the sweetest little old men ever, before they were sweet old men, were killers of atomic monster bugs. 
like you, you do. Edmund Gwen is one of the great, you know, uh, lovable scientist types in, in oh, that yeah. era. Uh, yeah. It's, it's also got James Arness. Yep, the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Fess Parker. And if I remember yep. right, Paul Freese, the voice actor who has voiced everything under Man and God, uh, was an extra on that movie, and he dies multiple yes. times. Yes. <laughs> there's... And there's a couple of other there's a, a couple of other credits. Uh, Olin Howland, who's the old man who gets devoured at the beginning of the original The Blob, uh, plays the man who screams, "Bring me the sergeant in charge of the booze!" <laughs> and, uh, over and over again. And then Onslow, oh <laughs> and then Onslow Stevens, who uh, you will remember from, I believe, House of Dracula. Oh, uh, one of the last uh, Universal Monster movie matchups has yeah. a uh, has a role as Brigadier General Robert O'Brien. That's right. Okay. So interesting. I'm on IMDb, and I love this. The Australian Daybill. The tagline on it was all caps: "An endless terror, a nameless horror." No, <laughs> it's not endless, and we do have a name. They are ants. <laughs> they're just ants people they're big ants so um so anyway the basic plot uh they find gi- like they f- they it, let, let's see it's they find a child wandering in the desert and then they discover that giant ants are attacking the locals and then they discover that ants at the play at the location of the atomic testing have become huge they destroy that colony but oh no two queen ants have flown away to los angeles <laughs> where they're going to found a colony because what happens in no never mind wrong city <laughs> also i kind of feel like didn't they need to take a regular ant with them or would i like i don't remember ant biology don't don't they need like a male ant to go with them or can they just do it all on their own i don't remember no, they, they they need a male ant, but they were uh, they were they, well. You they know, mate they, before they, they t- because you know you can't always have the star billing. Were you they a- lesbian queen ants? Well, they could have been bi, but <laughs> talking as somebody who's actually studied entomology, um, no, they mate. <laughs> Thank before, God you're here, Melissa. Thank they God. they mate before they leave the the nest to go form their own nest, and uh, so they're. Their their bodies okay, have. They're already pregnant. They're already pregnant. They're already basically. pregnant. Well, actually, <laughs> they store the sperm, and then the sperm can be released on you know at different times. Ew. So it's like they. I'm not. I, I'm not fucking kidding. <laughs> you said. I know sperm. you're not, but let's just stop and think about. I've stored the sperm for use later. Well, yeah. Ooh, squirt, how squirt. Convenient. Just a little. You know. Mm. You know how you make an ant gender fluid. Uh. uh. You just squish it with your thumb. Oh, God damn it. Oh. <laughs> uh. I don't know why the world needed that joke. It didn't. But it didn't, but the show needed it. The show needed it. I, so, I, I don't know that I agree with that. <laughs> I think we move on, guys, Wendy. I think guys, we do. <laughs> you guys right. do know. You do know about the lineage, right, of them? Because what? first Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms came out. Oh yes, yes. And that got the Japanese going on Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And then Warner knew about Godzilla, and they knew already that they had had a hit with Beast, so they decided to do them. 
Well, the inspiration of Godzilla was a little bit of Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and also King Kong. Like, particularly the special effects team uh, from Toho were the guys who were making the Japanese propaganda films during World War II. Oh wow! And so they they trained up on all their model work, uh, making these propaganda films. You know, making little planes fly over and you know win wars for them that didn't actually get won. And uh, so they became really accomplished model makers. But after World War II went away, um, they kind of couldn't really figure out what to do. But several of them were big fans of King Kong and. Um, Super Rea, I think is AG Super Rea. I I might be mudging his name a little bit, but he was kind of lead model maker, and he was the one who um really pushed for making something like King Kong. And that when um Ishiro Honda kind of came up with this idea for this monster movie they wanted to make. Uh, Subaraya was the one who, first of all, tried to figure out how to do it stop motion. And they couldn't, they didn't have the time or the resources to do that. And he was the one who had the eureka moment of, well, let's make a model city and just put a dude in a suit. Yeah. And then ah. under Craig, you know, over crank the camera a little bit, slow it down a little bit. And so you have all these master model makers making these wonderful little cities. And when, you know, when Godzilla's foot comes down, like the, the, the buildings have furniture in them. They're super detailed. And, you know, that's part of what sells it all. Well, and them as well as, is as amazing special effects. Oh yeah. That, that for its time. And, and a lot of which still stand oh, up. Today. I think it still holds up. Yeah. It's a yeah, great atmospheric it. film. It's probably the best of all of the big the big bug movies of the mm-hmm. 1950s yes i mean yes. you've got you've got a bunch you've got tarantula the beginning of the end the mm-hmm. deadly mantis the black scorpion yeah uh beginning of the end of course was uh crickets <laughs> um, oh god i fucking hate crickets and, uh, <laughs> oh god like ugh, ugh, you'll I really like fucking you'll not only hate them after that movie you'll think they're really boring uh <laughs> <laughs> the oh, beginning of the end indeed as in Oh, is God, it guys, just don't done? invite crickets to the party. Dude, <laughs> they're so dull. And they rub their legs together. It's just creepy. Um, but, uh, but, but, David, yeah, you I, have such a love of tarantula. Oh, my God, tarantula. Let me tell you, <laughs> again, getting back to the lineage here, yeah. when you realize what happens with Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and then uh, Toho saying we can do that and creating Godzilla and then them coming out because Warner wants to continue to experiment. What does that force everybody else to do? <laughs> Universal says, well, we gotta, we gotta do this now. So it's an arms race, you know, a bug race. Oh yeah. And, uh, and Tarantula, which was made in 1955 is the result. And Tarantula is a monumentally under, seen and underappreciated movie number one it is really really fun it is yeah. um i think probably the the most fun i think it's a more fun movie than them 
for for my money. But um, and it has a great uh, poster. The poster is one of the greatest posters of all time. I tell you, it really does. It really, really does. And you know, there's that great scene. Um, basically, it's about a, a the scientist who's experimenting with bugs uh, and gerbils and anything else he can get his hands on with his partner to try to create a uh, uh, you know uh, they're trying I think to figure out how to make things bigger so they can increase the food supply. Uh, so I know why not cabbage? I don't know spiders. So whatever. They've got this huge tarantula. And they dose it a little too much. It gets loose after uh, um, uh, a subplot involving uh, the 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 other scientists getting uh, dosed and starting to mutate. Um, and before the lead scientist can die from his mutated dose with his mutated face, he... <laughs> They have to go chase this spider, which has now grown to the size of like many, many houses and is coming towards the town and it's going to eat the town. Now, the, the movie is directed, number one, by Jack Arnold. Now, Jack Arnold is more responsible for the look and feel of 50 science fiction than any other director. And, yeah. um, you know, you're talking about the guy who did It Came From Outer Space, which launched 3D. Mm-hmm. He did Creature. Black Lagoon, which was the last of the great Universal Monster movies. He did The Incredible Shrinking Man, which is, remains one of the oh. greatest film adaptations in, in film history. He did really, really fun, bad movies like Monster on Campus, uh, Revenge of the Creature, I believe he did, um, which is also a pretty fun, fun uh, uh, movie. But he also uh, saved Gilligan's Island. <laughs> uh, when it was when it was down for the count, they brought him in to fix it. So you know, this is a guy strewn <laughs> all through American culture. Yes, um, this is also <laughs> the first time that we see a female scientist with a male name. Um, so talk about gender fluid. Mara Corday, the beautiful Mara Corday, plays Stephanie Steve Clayton, and uh, they call her Steve throughout the movie. And uh-huh. uh, uh, that yes. is another tradition that gets launched that we hear parodied all over the place. Also, you have John Agar, who went to star in tons of um, uh, uh, movies, including one of the Creature from the Black Lagoon sequels, and is really associated with the genre. Um, the uh, the cast of Tarantula uh, also features, and you're not going to believe it, Clint <laughs> Eastwood. Yeah, it's true. Clint Eastwood. You don't get to see his face, but he does have a couple lines. Mm-hmm. He's the jet squadron leader who sprays napalm all over the big bug before it can get to town. Um, this mm-hmm. is a movie with just hugely fun special effects. It is the uh, sort of the epitome of the goofball big bug movie. Uh, it's not a classic. It's not a great film like them is. I think you're right. Yeah, but it's, them a gr- is it's a great double feature because you watch oh, them, yeah. which is like a good representation of a really well-made film of that type from the era. And then you watch Tarantula and that's the goofy version. Like that's always terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I can't say enough about this movie and how, how fun it is. Um, you'll just fall. If you have any affinity at all for black and white 50 science fiction and you haven't seen this, you have a real treat in store. <laughs> hey, um, I found on trivia that the same spider from this movie was in the incredible shrinking man. So that, that oh, yeah. spider had some serious uh, credits. Wow. And they like made him really big and then they shrunk him down again. It's too bad. They didn't, uh, you know, to be in the Incredible Shrinking Man. It's too bad they didn't, uh, you know, 
<laughs> Could have done David. David. The technology David. of filming is amazing. David. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Melissa, you're next. <laughs> well, I feel like going kind of chronological. Chronological. Because I've been chronological. I've been drinking whiskey. Chronocracular. Kind of. Cr- <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go like by time order. In it. What? <laughs> Sorry, I'll be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so by the early 1960s, we have. Godzilla is breeding sequels everywhere, and there are <laughs> monster Green. movies aplenty. And then there's this thing in 1963 called Matango. Matango! Oh. Matango, oh, which Tango. I adore. So this is a movie that came out from Toho. It's it's kind of beautifully filmed. It's in like this great widescreen format and it's in lush color. And it is the story of, <laughs> of a bunch of people on a boat <laughs> who crash. I've never seen it. I just looked it up on IMDb. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Okay. You so did not a bunch know of what people this was? On a no. boat. Oh, boy. Crash into an island. Much like Gilligan's Island. There's a professor. There's an actress. There's the Marianne character. Literally, like, one by one, they're pretty much all analogs for Gilligan's Island. And they land on this island, and they're trying to figure out how to survive on this uncharted island that they've shipwrecked upon. And it is this slow paranoia film kind of matched with the shipwreck, you know, sort of survivalist structure. And they're they're trying to figure out what to eat, and they found this uh, abandoned ship on the other side of the island, and they're trying to, you know, th- there's weird things about the ship, like it's filled with fungus, and uh, uh, <laughs> they can find some food, but uh, it's kind of gross in there. They can't figure out what's going on and where everybody went, and um, they keep finding these mushrooms on the island, and everybody's going, ooh, bad idea to eat mushrooms that uh, that you don't know for sure are safe, which is absolutely freaking true. And so <laughs> as they, they suffer through their starvation, eventually they start eating the mushrooms one by one Uh-oh. and, Uh-oh. and, and turning into mushroom people. <laughs> yep. Back of the mushroom people was the English speaking title of this movie. It It is glorious. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the the costumes, the the Matango. I think it means don't watch this. Is what it what it's. uh, Oh, Matango's amazing. You just have to be prepared (laughs) for the fact that it is it is a slow burn and it is taking itself one hundred percent seriously. It is dead serious about everything that it's doing, and then mushroom people. It's it's directed by Isahiro Honda, who did Godzilla. Yeah, and. And, uh, you know, if you look up his filmography, uh, you know, he did a lot of work with Akira Kurosawa on films like Stray Dog and Kagamusha, Ron, Dreams. Uh, he was, uh, and of course, really instrumental in the giant, in the kaiju film as well. But uh, there's no denying that he meant for this to be a serious uh, rumination on, uh, on radiation. 
Well, yeah, uh, much much like uh, the original Godzilla film, you know, 1954 Godzilla is a very serious movie. Yeah. And it, which is, an, it, it's very interesting to see the nature of the Godzilla movies shift through time. But the very first one, it, it is a very serious science fiction analogy for the power and destruction and devastation of the atomic bomb. Yeah, well, and that's something kaiju movies don't get enough credit for in general. Yeah, that's um, true. Is they 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 do attempt at times to explore uh not all of them but but some of them certainly uh, uh i always think of uh uh godzilla versus hedora mm-hmm. uh, which tried in its own way to sort of talk about pollution in a way that its fans might respond to well pretty much all the godzilla films with very few exceptions um they all have some sort of, you know, moralistic thing to say about the environment and about uh, Japan's relationship with the rest of the world, especially. Uh, there was a gentleman who wrote a book about Godzilla, and I can never remember his name, but he he said something I think is very apt, is that the Godzilla films through the ages, Godzilla is... the. The Godzilla films are a reflection of Japanese society and how Japanese society feels about itself. And so the yeah. first Godzilla film is Japan is feeling, oh, woe is us. We've been hit by the atomic bomb. We're powerless to, you know, defend ourselves against this scourge. And eventually, you know, like by the 70s, it becomes this sort of um, uh, dreamscape of we have a powerful military. <laughs> Which, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and it's it, and you know, by the time we get into the 2000s, you get uh, giant monsters all out attack, where Godzilla himself is the resurrection of the souls of the the soldiers who who uh, carried on World War II even after it was over, and so the kind of this oh. resurrection of a really uncomfortable part of their history, and it's coming back to attack them. Interesting stuff. It would be really interesting to hear like a Tom Miz or a Jasper Sharp compare some of the work of Studio Ghibli because I, you know, with with kaiju films of the 1960s, oh, yeah. because I I really feel like, you know, when you when you look at those two things up close together again, is Palm Poco not to be taken seriously in any way because it's about raccoons with inflated testicles? No, um, that <laughs> uh, that's a movie that uses Japanese folklore <laughs> and uh, does an amazing bit of storytelling with it. And, and I think that the same is true. Um, like I said, I don't think that all, I don't think that all Godzilla movies or even most Godzilla movies are, are as effective as the very, very, very good ones. Like, um, I, like Mothra versus Godzilla, oh, which yeah. is just astounding and, and full of like r- rich in theme and idea. Um, uh, and yet at the end of the day, it's a monster movie, you know, it's, yeah. it's meant to be enjoyed the way that a child enjoys play you know it's that's mm-hmm. they're timeless movies the, the ones the, the really good ones they're so great we we oh, won't speak about Gazuki. <laughs> i found this in the trivia of matango that the <laughs> film was nearly banned in japan due to the fact that the makeup that the cast wore as they were turning into mushrooms was reminiscent of how many people looked after the bombing of hiroshima and nagasaki uh-huh yeah yeah like uh, uh, oh, yeah. It, it's yeah. very, it, it's a fascinating movie to watch because Matango, 
is like 75%, like three quarters of its running time. It's, you know, really deadly serious about this shipwreck story that it's built up with hints of the the mushroom thing running through it. And then by the time it reaches the end, you're full on into hallucinations of Las Vegas and and people turning into mushrooms. It just it falls <laughs> off that cliff real fast and it's amazing to watch. <laughs> it's like slow burn, slow burn. Ah oh, madness. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> madness, this is Matango. Mm-hmm. I love Matango so much. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's an impossible film not to Yeah. Like. So after that, I think we're moving into the 70s. Oh, 70s the 70s. Um, long weekend. How about Long Weekend? Yeah. Yep. Uh, long Weekend um, made a 1978 in Australian horror film. Um, it was, I'm sorry, shot in 77, first shown in 1978. It was directed by a guy named Colin Eggleston. Now, um, the thing that uh, you probably want to know about about Colin Eggleston was he was uh, like a lot of Australian filmmakers. You know, this was a very out-of-the-box guy. You know, he worked on shows like Chopper Squad and mm-hmm. uh, uh, um, you know, the shows like The Box and Matlock Police and The Long Arm. Uh, and he worked a little bit on Doctor Who, I think, in the, in the, in the mid-60s. But um, with this movie, he, he made what he arguably – is definitely, I think, in the top five and very maybe in the top three uh, of uh, Nature Strikes Back films that were made in the richest period in which they were made in the 1970s. Um, This is about a couple who are having problems in their marriage and they take their dog to go on a, a, a weekend camping trip. And while they're on this camping trip, the um, film makes a point of showing them desecrate the environment, nature, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, unnecessary killing of an animal, um, throwing cigarettes and dry brush and, you know, spraying uh, insecticide, um, you know, kind of wantonly all over the place. And oh, uh, so you, you've talked about this before. No, I've actually never seen it. This well, has come up before. Somebody talked about this. Yeah, uh, uh, Long Weekend is a very famous exploitation movie. It might okay. Go keep going, David. Mm-hmm. But like suddenly, I'm like, wait, I know that this has been mentioned before because I remember hearing about this and being like, what? <gasps> you know what? It might have been mentioned on Junk Food Cinema. Hi, that's a shout out. To oh Junk yeah, Food it, Cinema. It, oh they talked about it on Junk Food Cinema. That's what it well, was. I heard yeah, because they, they talked about it with uh, Razorback, and which is another great one we could bring up <laughs> because <laughs> it's a rampaging pig. And uh, oh, what else? Did yeah, they that talk was about? that's yeah. what it is. So, a listeners, David's going to. You know what? We'll link that episode in the show notes because it is an, a particularly excellent episode of junk food cinema just about exploitation movies. Sorry, cool. I got excited because suddenly yeah. I knew oh, what was okay. going on. Keep going, David. Keep going. Your voice is lulling me into like so, a hypnotic state where I'm making connections. Go, so what please is go. happening with this movie? <laughs> it's a shame we're um, all like separated by continent. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you two aren't separated by a continent. You're separated by a great lake. You know, like six hours of driving. That's not that too, too bad. I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the other side of a... A whole country. Yeah, I miss true. you guys. I, I lied. I'm not in Chicago. 
I'm under the bed. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Well, then. Um, (laughs) So anyway, what happens to this couple? The the podcast is coming from inside the house. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. Just watch that movie. Um, (laughs) So basically, this couple get more and more angry with each other. Um, They're separating their bond, you know, humanity and human civilization sort of falling apart is the metaphor there. And then um, they uh, are attacked by nature. Nature's had enough. And they uh, are attacked by eagles and possums and and then uh, just about everything else in the Australian outback can kill you. Hmm? Possums, like don't take don't take them lightly. They're terrifying. Their faces when they get mad. Damn. They'll play dead, but that's to show you what you're going to look like if you mess with them. That's mm-hmm. like, you don't want to mess with the possums. But yeah, you know, just about everything in the Australian outback that can kill you comes forward and does. Um, and it's because of all that layered sort of metaphor and the bravery that the uh, that the filmmakers have to just follow that very simple storyline that the film uh, kind of emerges as this, as this, you know, gem. And again, it's a film that is, is uh, deserves to be seen more. I think it's like a um, wake, uh, wake and fright, wake and fright, which is another, yeah, wake and fright's an amazing Australian film. And I I don't think this is not just an exploitation film by, Mm -hmm. by any means. Um, By the way, you have synapse films to thank, for the fact that this film is available at all in any meaningful way in the States. Right. There's a beautiful Blu-ray of it that they uh, released a little while ago. Oh, really? And, oh. Uh, oh, it has Ooh. a ton of special features, including uh, audio commentary and <gasps> um, just a whole audio interview with one of the actors. It's a, it's a great film. Nice. Also, um, one other little bit of, uh, of, of, um, um, yeah. Also, <laughs> one other little bit of, Trivia about this movie is that the it was written by the writer of Road Games and, and Rose and Razorback. Yeah, which we mentioned earlier. So definitely a film to track down and just just buy yourself a copy of it if you have if you have any love at all for uh, think about it as walkabout meets deliverance if the hillbillies were animals. It's it's walkabout at odds oh. with nature. <laughs> If the hillbillies were animals, I am going to have nightmares tonight. Thank you. Did you know that that armadillos can carry leprosy? Think about that for a bit. Okay. Like what? Like in a little bag? (laughs) No, like don't. don't, don't, don't. (laughs) I can just see an armadillo leaving home with his little, with his, with his, Spouse armadillo going. Hey, did you bring your? Did you bring your leprosy? Yeah, go to my back right here. Yeah, a little fetching okay, clutch wait, first. Wait, wait, wait. Why are your armadillos cockney? <laughs> oh yes, yeah, I brought it. It's right here in this little bag. Well, they're like Texas, hedgehogs, and hedgehogs are British. Texas had, Texas has had a hard enough week, and I just didn't want to. I didn't want to go there. <laughs> yeah. uh, clearly, I mean, an armadillo should have some sort of an back in Texas like, all week long. Good. Honey, did you pack the leprosy? Oh dear, I did. It's right here in this bag. Leprosy. There's, guys, there's there, sits all over me. There's whiskey in my nostrils. 
It hurts. I'm just saying, don't fucking touch a goddamn armadillo. Because of salmonella. That's my public service. You know what? Just don't touch. You know what? I don't touch nature. Don't touch nature. <laughs> it will kill you. That's why I like to go glamping, not camping. Na- nature hates you. You've did you say glamping? Watch the Revenant. Nature hates you. Nature hates you and wants to fuck you up the ass for serious. <laughs> somebody asked me. Somebody asked me why the Leo didn't thank the bear in his acceptance speech, and I said that it was, you know, in my opinion, that once somebody has raped you, that they have lost the right to ever, you know, uh, thank you ever again. You know, be thanked ever again <laughs> in any acceptance speech that you give. So. <laughs> I still can't believe that was a thing that people were like, oh, my God, the bear is raping him. It's like, really, people? Do you really? Like, this is how far our educational system has fallen that we can't see. That we're like, oh, clearly that's rape. No. That's I blame the internet what? and Tumblr. <laughs> I think I, it's I think it's all these people Tumblr. that grew up on Gentle Ben wishing. <laughs> oh, my that's God. Bear. Are you blaming you know? this oh on furries? No, furries are good people. Furries are not their fault. Oh, that's the next episode. Furries strike back. (laughs) My husband just brought me ice cubes. (laughs) Radio. Radio. Happy, happy, boing, 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 boing. Okay, what? I missed something. My husband came in and kissed me and gave me ice cubes. Like but not do. leprosy. But not leprosy. <laughs> okay. Thank is God. Your husband, is your husband a large hairy man? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's hairy. If your time. husband is scaly and rotund with a tail, he might actually be an armadillo. Watch out. <laughs> armadillo. <laughs> it's the thriller. It, that's the armadillo thriller. Look out. The, the armadillo thriller from Manila? What? Yeah. Wendy and I both out. have hairy husbands. I'll... We do. We do. Our husbands are, are quite furry and mm-hmm. delightful. I'm kind of hairy, but but in a kind of a patchy uh, <laughs> way. For fuck's sake, I'm trying to drink here. <laughs> I have very, I have very, you know. It's hard, you know, getting 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 somebody to really do a do your back hair for you is hard these days. It's well, it's true, it's true. <laughs> Embrace the back hair. That's what you need. Somebody who's just like, hey, look, you're you're comfortable to hug, right? Something for yeah. my hands to do. Something for my hands to do when I'm hugging you. But I mean, well, you, I also- you you need to keep it a little bit trimmed so it doesn't like get caught in clothing, though. Because well, I, I imagine that would be very uncomfortable. I did know what? somebody who had so much back hair that their shirt actually should have hovered on their back. Oh, like that guy in uh, uh, Samurai 3, The Dominion? No, uh, yes, because we've Ninja. all seen that. Mar- Shit, what was the title? of The, the canon film. Ninja oh. 3, Dominion. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> that really, he like, carried have, his own sweater with him? Can we get down to brass tacks and just say the words... Who cares? <laughs> I do. I'm passionate about this shit. But like when you pat them on their back and their shirt sort of squishes in. It, it right? kind of springs yeah. back. Yeah. Mine does that on the front. Out. Cool. That's okay. That's on the back yeah. is a little bit weirder. I have to admit, not to be judgy, but 
I, that's my proclivity. So, all right. No, I, what's no, next? because I, I have a concave chest is why it does that. But <laughs> Or you just actually have springs coming out of your chest. Yeah, I just spray every morning. I just take a can of that spray hair and I just fill it in. So <laughs> I get kind of a... <laughs> I don't know how this got weirder than Mentango, saw, but it did. I saw... I solved two problems at the same time. It's great. <laughs> I'm going to point out that the uh, poster for Long Weekend, look at that, bringing it back. The poster for Long Weekend that I'm seeing on IMDb says, their crime was against nature, and nature found them guilty. Yep, that yep. was the tagline indeed. I love exploitation. I do too. Oh. oh my God. Do you want to know what the IMDb <laughs> The IMDb short summary is when a suburban couple go camping for the weekend at a remote beach, they discover that nature isn't in an accommodating mood. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a famous description that people have pointed out before. What the hell? Like nature was like like you're kind of hoping for maybe like a little hookup with nature, you know, <laughs> sex but nothing meaningful and nature's just not in an accommodating mood. Like no. I wanna no. know. I don't know. Not even a hand job. No. I want to no. know what nature's Tinder profile looks like. <laughs> I really nature's do. I like Tinder nature, profile. I feel like nature would also have a grinder profile. Oh, oh yeah, totally yeah. on grinder. I always worry about you. You know, like Tinder. I don't use Tinder because I'm afraid that I would develop the habit of just slapping people in real life. You know, like slap to the right, slap to the right. <laughs> everybody you meet. That, <laughs> Just you know? walk up swipe, to random people swipe, and swipe. Swipe. I'm sorry. Swipe, not you. Swipe. swipe. Not you. Like, not wouldn't you. that be great if you could do that, though? Like, you're in a conversation. You're just like, swipe. Yeah, not you. Please go away. <laughs> like, what if, what if that became, like, like customary in-person shorthand and you just sort of make a swiping gesture and people go, oh, okay, never mind. And they just leave. That would be so great. I feel like there would be, be – it, it'd be like a game of Rochambeau. So, like, at a certain point in the conversation, you both go, one, two, three, and then there's a hand gesture of, like, continue or stop. And if you, <laughs> if somebody goes stop, you have to go your separate ways. <laughs> I like that. I sort know, of right? like the, net, the Netflix model of, of social interaction. Are you still watching? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll continue. Um, okay, you need to pause for a second because I need to pee. Okay, but what's next after a long weekend? Okay, so we're still in the seventies. Let's let's back up a little bit because we have Night of the Lepus. Because <laughs> it's oh, a yeah. glorious thing. <laughs> it's just not even. Oh my god! Oh god! I know, right? So you've got this movie, where, American film, starring somehow DeForest Kelly. Bones and from Star Janet, Trek. And Janet Lee? Was it Janet Lee? Yes. Janet, yeah, Janet Lee. You're right. Yes. Stuart and, Whitman. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's about these rabbits <laughs> that have escaped from a lab because of a child releasing them into the wild. And um they grow to ginormous size. And first of all, the 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 most remarkable thing about Night of the Lepus is the model work, which is actually rather remarkably good. 
But it's fighting against the problem that even when you film, quote, giant rabbits, giant terrifying man-eating rabbits, even when you smear fake blood on a rabbit, it's still adorable as fuck. Well, I mean... The original, so the original cute. movie, the original title was supposed to be called Rabbits, <laughs> and MGM said, "Uh-uh, because that's not it's going to work. Nobody will go. Well, nobody will no, take this film put seriously." An exclamation point after it, and you're fine. Rabbits, or it's like they tried to do the frogs model. Yes, exactly. And, and um, yeah, that doesn't quite work with rabbits bunnies no it doesn't work here's the thing so was the classic joke from monty python and the holy grail an actual reference to this movie Mm. look at the bones bones. i mean uh chronologically it could be it could be it could be i i would I would love to think of John Cleese and the guys sitting around watching Night of the Lepus. That is, that makes me happy in my happy place. That's a happy place. I do know that, uh, okay, dear listeners, if you've never been to Convergence, I will fill you in on this. Um, I do a show called Killer Bees Improv Movie Show, where what I do is I take clips of bee movies, like five, ten minute clips, and I string them together into a one hour show. And then I wipe out all the audio. And then we bring in voice actors who have never seen the movies before and musicians. And as the, the film clips play, the voice actors replace the dialogue on the fly and the musicians make up a whole new score. And the thing I learned one fine night is that the, the clips should be visually interesting and even silly, you know, give enough for the artist to work with. But if they are too far gone, if they're if they are bug nuts entertaining on their own, my friend, my dear friends will just sit and watch the footage. <laughs> just yes. dumbfounded. And so one of the shows I did pick a clip from Night of the Lepus with these giant blood smeared bunny rabbits. <laughs> And they were just dumbfounded. <laughs> like, what do you say? What like, do you even what? say? Bones from Star Trek is fighting bunnies. What well, the, the thing hell? that nobody talks about, nobody thing that nobody's talked about yet is how, you know, what they did was they built the miniature houses and they filmed mm-hmm. the bunnies from the ground. Mm-hmm. But then they did things like build these miniature, um, you know, electrical poles. Yes. And so the bunnies... Uh, there are shot after shot of these bunnies getting the living hell shot yeah, out of them in this movie. And you almost feel guilty for watching the movie because yeah. there's no way that was faked. It just doesn't, does not look like it was fake. They're just rocketing it, into the air. <laughs> like, they're just like, ah! <laughs> yeah, man. It, 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 it's such a push and pull between this is really competent model work and such a terrible concept to build it on. Yeah. Yeah, there is nothing there is nothing about this film to redeem it except for the fact that it is wildly goofy. It is. And it is a, it is It's a hell of a it, watch. I mean, there is an underground cave filled with giant man-eating rabbits. Yep. The t- the <clears throat> tagline from IMDb 
They were born that tragic moment when science made its great mistake. <laughs> now, from behind the shroud of night they come, a scuttling, shambling horde of creatures destroying all in their path. That is a long fucking tagline. I know, that's, right? That's hilarious. That's like the whole poster is just the tagline. <laughs> You know what? I feel like I need to do a modern remix of that poster with the with the sans serif font over the face, like the the social network poster. Yeah, <laughs> just a rabbit face and that long fucking tagline over it. <laughs> yes. If you want to make a good quasi horror movie with rabbits, you call it Watership Down. <laughs> ah, oh God, that movie it. is terrifying. You also, Donnie Darko, if you're if you don't mind the. The emo. Donnie That's Darko is really fun. emo. Oh my, that that That's actually so might good. be fun is to take that quote and like take like a really 50s ridiculous sort of um, aesthetic and put it on Donnie Darko with like the exclamation points and the the terror lettering. Right. Oh. That'd be kind of fun. I don't know. I want to take I want to take Frank the Bunny's voice from Donnie Darko and put it in Night of the Lepus. Yeah. Right. Oh, my God. Well, there was a. Dang. <laughs> there was a promotional item of lucky rabbit feet with red paint on the toes for blood. Yep. You know what? Yep. This is this is something I could actually do at work. If I take a box of tricks and I put Donnie Darko on it. Oh my god. Oh my yes. god. Bunnies. Tricks are for kids. <laughs> yeah. We could do this. I could actually get the box printed. You know this. I know this. Mm -hmm. I know. I would love that. I would love that a lot. Okay. Like so, so much. All right. What's next, Melissa? Christmas list. Wendy, Wendy, what do you got on your list? What's next on your list? Well, I'm not until the 90s, people, because I'm a a modern girl. So Melissa was like, let's do it chronologically. Well, you know what, Wendy? Let's mix it up, you know, because otherwise you're just going to be talking about all the things in the last third of the episode. So, um, also by the time I talk, I'll be drunk. (laughs) Oh, I'm already there. I need a break. So Wendy, why don't we, I can tell by your pauses. I can tell when you're drunk now. (gasps) I've got, I've gone full Shatner. Yes, you have. Let's do arachnophobia. Cause that's 1990. Yes. I love it. Okay. And also we, we've been talking about, you know, bugs and other things. So this fits in. Right? Yeah, let's, yeah, well, I yeah. mean, because nature, I'm sorry, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Arachnophobia 1990 with Jeff Daniels and Julian Sands. Oh, my and God. And Goodman and directed by Frank Marshall. I kind of love this movie, except I hate spiders. So to this day, like sometimes I'll be in the shower and washing my hair and, you know, you, you close your eyes and you lean back in the shower and I'm like, ah, spider. And then I have to open my eyes as quickly as possible. Because <laughs> there's that scene in the movie where the spider like washes down oh, her body, right. but doesn't bite her. Yeah. Thank goodness. Because you die instantly from these right. devil, devil spiders. devil spiders a large spider from the jungles of south america is accidentally transported in a crate with a dead body to america where it mates with a local spider and hybrids and there's hybrids now what i love which which is unfortunate because really hybrids are usually sterile yeah oh my god 
The tagline is the suspense of Alien, the excitement of Jaws, the fun of Back to the Future. Oh, that's really what a unfortunate. Stupid tagline. <laughs> Who from marketing thought of that? Okay, well, future Melissa, please put Slither on the Alien Invasion episode of <laughs> Okay. Because that's oh, what hey. that's what we think we of. We do this, yes. Okay. Oh my god, that's so hilarious. What I like about this movie is I love the idea of a spider being a top predator in an ecosystem. Oh, so yeah. they're in this, uh, oh, is it is it called a cenote? Like they're in this uh, hole in South America like this really deep geological hole and like it's built up its own like isolated ecosystem. Is that oh, a yeah. C note? Uh, C E N O T E. I thought a C note was $20. I, 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 I don't... Uh, Give me a comedy. C, a bouncy C. Yeah. You're making me crazy. <laughs> you know, there's a couple oh, of oh, other. But it's true. A C note is a <laughs> natural pit or sinkhole. Yeah. So, okay. okay. I, oh, yeah. And, I, and and you have all sorts of environments like that where um, they're isolating to the species that live within them. And uh, those species tend to, tick, tend to stick to themselves and speciate, which, you know, if the, the population is isolated enough, they don't get um, genetic input from outside. So that's how species yeah. are formed. So you have Julian Dear listeners, Sands. look up the Rift Lakes of Africa. Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. Those are cool. Yeah, um, very. So you have Julian Sands as this um, scientist in South America, and he's found this isolated ecosystem in a sinkhole, a very deep sinkhole. And um, and he discovers that the top, the top of the food chain in this ecosystem is a giant spider, like like a foot across. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. oh they're there they they exist and, and it's real like Je- like i remember jeff daniels being on the tonight show promoting this and yeah. he's like no that's a real spider that they did actually like bring on set <laughs> a goliath <laughs> bird eating spider let just that is what put it's called the clock back put the clock that was a huntsman back. that that was a huntsman okay okay dear listeners if you have seen the put the clock back meme We'll link it in the show notes um, if you're not arachnophobic. That's a huntsman spider, which are found in Australia. Uh, the Goliath bird-eating spider is even bigger and fatter. And, and those things do furry. eat birds. They're the size of a dinner plate. Yeah, the huntsman, the put the clock back is one of the one of the times that you, you remember reading something and laughing so hard that you cried. Oh, just God, reading something. It. Yeah, that was put the clock back. Because I was like, yes. Yes, I'm with you. Yeah, put, put the, the clock, clock back. Put, put the clock, the clock back. back. And uh, <laughs> the the associated meme of uh, the guy who found Huntsman underneath the um, the sun visor of his car. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Leapt out at him. <laughs> uh, have fun sleeping tonight, guys. I am actually arachnophobic, which is weird that I like this movie. But um, it's a one, fun two, movie. Three, four, five, six. Hello. Huh. Hi, you there? No, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Okay. We can hear you. Are you there? I'm yeah, not. Uh, it won't record anymore. One technical difficulty later. I'm just trying to. Okay, relaunch GarageBand. We'll do. Yeah. It. Hang on. Yep. Okay, go ahead, Wendy. 
here, uh, here's some trivia. The animatronic uh, spider seen at the film's climax was one of the earliest prop jobs done by Mythbusters Jamie Heineman. I did not know that. Ah, oh. the giant spider used in the film was a species of bird-eating tarantula, eight-inch leg span or more. These types of tarantula are not easy to handle and can give a nasty bite. No the spiders shit. in the film were managed and handled by famed entomologist Stephen R. Kutcher. Melissa, have you heard... There was an episode of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me with a guy who's a uh, an animal doctor and he has this delightful story where somebody like brought him a spider and he hates spiders. And he's like, oh, my God, I've got to find it for you and send it to you. It's so hilarious. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, because he was working like an emergency vet clinic. He's like, well, you know, I feel like it's sick. Like... <laughs> And so his colleague calls him the next day. He sends the guy home with this sick spider in a box that he didn't even open because fuck spiders. His colleague <laughs> that sent the spider to him the next day calls. He's like, did you tell that man that in your opinion, that spider was probably sick? Well, yeah. Well, if you had actually opened up the box and investigated him, you would have seen that, in fact, the spider was dead. That's why two of the legs fell off. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not doing it justice. It's hilarious. I'll find it. I'll send it to you. Listeners, I'll, we'll try to put it in the show notes, either in this episode or an Eclipse episode when Melissa uses this. But it's seriously... I cried listening to this episode of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. It was so funny. Dear listeners... Dead tarantulas are among the grossest things on earth. Why? Well, you know, you have this hard armor on the outside, and it's all goo on the inside. This oh, is God. not true. This is and, not true. And it just kind of collapses. Oh. No, that's not and true. And the, the, the smell is extraordinary. Oh, why do you know this, Melissa? Oh, I worked in the pet industry for about 10 years. Oh, that's right, you did. I've kept every type of pet with the exception of a cat. I've had millipedes, tarantulas, newts, frogs, fish of all sorts, snails, you name it. Uh, birds, ferrets, dogs. You know, just work your way up the, the food chain. And... um yeah, dead tarantulas are a horrifying thing. Also, dead snails, big ones, because they just liquefy, and dead turtles. Melissa, I don't want to hear about this anymore. I haven't eaten dinner, and okay. I'd like Let to still have you, an appetite. Let me tell you a story about a turtle I once caught with a fishing wire and a screwdriver no <laughs> are you recording again yet are you recording david no because that would have been just nothing but dead time yeah, cause, cause we don't get this now come on come on dude yeah, get on the ball make it work <laughs> all right now i'll tell you a story about uh no no I stories until you're recording no stories well, I'm not allowed right now woman i'm recording <laughs> as we speak. You, you sit there in your little palace in Wisconsin or wherever the hell you are. And she I'm is not in Wisconsin. And, no, I'm sitting here trying to record, trying to uh, save something for my posterior. And you got no nothing. I got I got Texas, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah you and yeah, all well, good. Hope you can swim. That's all I got to say to you. 
I don't even know what that means. All right. So arachnophobia, listeners. Arachnophobia is is, really fun. It's actually very fun. It's very much in the more comedy horror vein. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's a Daniels good comedy delightful. horror movie. It's a it's a movie that is both funny and horror. Um yeah. usually usually comedy horrors fail at one of the two because it's hard to balance them. Arachnophobia does it well. But it's got a terrific cast, like I already said. Um it's also got Stuart Pankin. If look him up, you'll recognize the face and be <laughs> like, oh that guy, I love that guy. Um it's very quotable. I'm not gonna it's quotable, but you have to have seen it. And a lot of people haven't. This has kind of gotten lost in the mists of time. Um, and for all that it's called arachnophobia, it's not actually too terrifying if you actually have arachnophobia, which I do. And yet I like watching this movie. So there you go. So I do recommend, like, mm, it's kind of kind of delightful. And yay, Def- Jeff Daniels. You know, I got to throw, throw a couple character actors at you, too. This also has Henry Jones in it. Henry Jones was an unbelievably recognizable face from the days of television mm-hmm. and uh, is in this movie because uh, the director grew up watching him. Um, he plays the sort of the pain in the ass town doctor uh, oh, God, that, yeah. uh, that uh, Bill, that Jeff Daniels has to, has to fight to get his practice in order. And then last, but certainly not least is the um, amazing, amazing uh, Peter Jason. Oh who yeah. Is in, almost every single John Carpenter movie. Um, And it always does reliable work and occasionally gets to do something like this as well. Plus, plus one more, I got to do one more, Kathy Kinney. Now, where do you know that name from? The Drew Carey Show. She Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes, she played Mimi Mimi Bobek. And uh, she has a wonderful little role in this film as well. She is so terrific. It's such a good movie. Yeah. And it's kind of gotten forgotten. All right. Who's next, Melissa? I, I just have, uh, give me a moment. I'm just thinking about Julian Sands again. I know, right? He was kind of hot, but then he'd made all those terrible movies. Hey. But Yeah, but that doesn't diminish him in my book. Like, he's so Fox British. Also, well, well Fox I mean, it, if, Melissa. What? If you, if you imprint it. on... What? Box at Melissa instead of boxing Helena. It was uh, a lame joke, but I tried. Well, if no, you imprinted I, I was going to say with a view. If you imprinted on a room with a view, Julian Sands is sex personified. No, I imprinted on Warlock of all things. <laughs> no, I, I, know, I just about earlier I, when you first mentioned Julian Sands, I just about said I lost my virginity to Julian Sands, which is only kind of true. It wasn't him Wait. actually doing the job, but we were watching Warlock at the time, so... You oh, did lose you your virginity to the background noise of Warlock. Julian Sands. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun movie. Are I really we, uh, like it in Room with a, in room with a View. Had, okay. He's oh, so yeah. British. Mm. Ah. Mm. Yes. Okay, and on the IMD DB, I've got his page up, and right to the side is Domhnall Gleeson. So it's like British, British, Britishness with the British <laughs> side of British. <laughs> okay. Okay, moving next? on. Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Yeah. So, <clears throat> David, coming back to you, <laughs> <laughs> please bring us on track with something more serious. Well, yeah, I mean, the the next movie I'm going to talk about is one of the great 
dystopian science fiction films uh, of all time, uh, in my opinion, um, and, and a significant film for all sorts of reasons, certainly significant to our discussion of Nature Strikes Back. Uh, it is phase four. Oh. Uh, this is the movie uh, that is probably undeservedly most famous for being directed by Saul Bass, the famous uh, titles designer. It's the only um, full-length film that he ever did create. He did do the titles for this as well. Uh, and of course, he was a master at designing titles. Mm -hmm. But I think he I think he proved that uh, it would have been nice to have seen more movies from him. Um, yeah. What it's about is uh, you have some uh, scientists moving out into the desert to try to understand why the ants in this desert have formed a collective intelligence and they, um, you know, do various aggressive things to try to, uh, uh, you know, interact with the ants to see what the ants will do. And they basically launch a war. Um, at one point they rescue, uh, someone who lives nearby and she, uh, and they are going to try to get away, but the ants have other ideas. And this is where you get into this nature strikes back idea is, and, and also that I'm going to talk about in the next film that I talk about the Hellstrom Chronicles, mm -hmm. where you have literally the ecosystem itself taking on, um, you know, in this case, anthropomorphic aspects of humanity and being able to go out into uh, civilization and take it over, mm -hmm. um, and change it and turn it into something that's completely other. Um, this is really at the heart of what nature strikes back is so, um, is so scary, uh, uh, uh to people I think is because whether it's a grizzly bear attacking you or all the dogs in the world suddenly going feral or something as small uh, as as ants, the the idea that man is sort of superfluous to the earth, yeah, um, is is really a sobering idea. And when you couple that with uh, you know ideas of of people being um, unkind to the earth, discompassionate, uh, uh, wasteful, um, it it is very very compelling. Uh, uh, stuff to tell stories with. Uh, one of the things I, I also love about this film is the um, the uh, cast. Nigel Davenport yeah. uh, is just such a great actor. You know, Man for All Seasons, Grey Stoke, Legend of Tarzan, Chariots of Fire. Uh, you know, one of the great, one of the great British actors, and he uh, he outdoes himself in this. Um, I'm not sure what his John, uh, genre qualifications are. Uh, I want to say that he did something to do with Quartermass at some point, but I can't quite wrap yeah, my head he, around he what did, the Oh, I should know it. I've seen all the Quartermass stuff. So he... <sighs> give me a second. Give me a second. Mm. Processing. Processing. He was in a, he, he was in Peeping well, Tom. I remember that. Um, yeah. He. Oh my God! He was in the Island of Doctor Moreau of seventy-seven. Yeah. Yeah, he's uncredited in 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 uh, um in Peeping Tom. 
Um, but I he, remember, I remember seeing him. It's like, oh, hey, that guy. Well, yeah, because he's one of those reliable presences that always shows up. But then he did a ton of really substantive work. So if if you like British actors who just have a a rich history about them, um, really, I think one of the pity uh, things is you don't uh, see a lot of his television work surviving, and a lot of his genre work was in television. Um, but uh, he was also in a movie called No Blade of Grass mm-hmm. uh, that is by Cornell Wilde. It was an apocalyptic film about a deadly virus striking London, and then um, the, he plays the patriarch who has to take his family across country and sort of loses his humanity in the process of trying to survive. A really, really uh, underrated film, film that you can get on uh, manufacture on demand. But... This is probably his his premiere film for for genre heads. Um, also, in Phase Four, uh, is somebody that uh, is cast against type, Michael Murphy. Michael Murphy is best known for playing hard asses, uh, and uh, he played he did a wonderful job as a killer in a movie called um, Oh darn it! It was wasn't the eighties. It was called Cloak and Dagger. I love oh, yeah. Cloak and, Cloak and, and Dagger so much. Cloak and Dagger is just one of the greatest movies of the 1980s. You need to go out, get yourself a copy of it, throw it in. It is, it's like war games or short circuit. Uh, it's about a little boy who uh, gets a hold of some computer information way before anybody knew what computers were about and uh, uh, before they were a household word. And he winds up um, on the run from some assassins and he is only aided by his uh, little action hero that he carries around with him who springs to life periodically through the film to talk to him about what to do next. And uh, also stars Dabney Coleman, great movie, another movie, but that's the kind of character that he usually played. Um, He also was a a policeman in the movie Shocker. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was the mayor in Batman Returns, the very corrupt mayor. Um, Uh It's it's really hard to uh, think of him unless you think of him as sort of a uh, playing some faceless, thankless part or unless he's uh, in – you know, the heavy, um, he is in Magnolia, uh, as, a um, as a, has a, has a decent role in that. But, uh, I think his role here is just a scientist trying to figure out how to talk to these ants and try to figure out what's going on and sort of caught between the world of science and trying to make sure they all get out of this predicament alive is, uh, you know, he, he proves that he's, I think he's every bit as good in that movie as Charlton Heston is in, um, you know, uh, something like, uh, the Omega man. Um, uh, he has a little less to do. Uh, it's a little less exciting of a film. It's more cerebral, but I think he really, really, really gives a great performance. So in fact, I think his performance is uh, a good argument for why this film could be a great stage play. Um, and I don't know if that's ever been done. I would really like to see that done. You're talking about phase four being a stage play. Yeah. <laughs> Why, what does the phase four refer to? Phase four refers to the uh, sort of the last phase before the ants finally take everything over. <laughs> oh, that's terrifying. All right, Melissa, what's up next? Oh, let's see. Hmm, where do I go from here? Uh, since we were just talking about ants, I would like to bring up Creep Show. 
Okay, oh, I'm going to point yeah. out I live in Texas, and it's been raining, and that means when it stops raining, all of the fire ants rebuild their little mounds, mm-hmm. and so there are giant ant hills full of fire ants everywhere I go. That's awesome. Don't step on it's, them. Yeah, no. I I did that once. <laughs> did I tell you I did that once? No. I didn't do that You once. did that once. Once. I didn't mean to. I I thought I knew where the anthills in my yard were, and then I I stepped, and then suddenly my foot hurt, and then I looked down, and there were ants on my foot, and I knew enough to immediately run inside, and um, take off all my clothes, because mm-hmm. if they were in there, I didn't want them anywhere. Uh, like I took my clothes off at the door. Yeah, naked. I was naked. What are you gonna do, listeners? <laughs> took them off at the door and like washed everything, and like I went on immediately on the internet. Every, every folk remedy, I used them all. I was like, first I will wash, then I will use, um, I will do this, then I will also do this, then I will also do this. I don't want this shit. By the way, um, Vicks Vapor Rub, recommended. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. A lot of that, the the petroleum-based things will, like, extract toxins. So... Creep so, hey, we are not just talking about movies. We are giving you survival skills. Listeners. It's very true. It's very true. We are practical here as well as <laughs> not. Very, very practical. <laughs> Melissa, you wanted to talk about Creep Show. Yes, I really do. That's practical. Creep Show was one of the first, well, was the first movie I owned on home video. I bought oh. it with my own money back when VHS tapes cost a fuckload. Yeah, they did. <laughs> I saved oh, up my did. allowance and I bought Creep Show at an age when I probably should not have been owning Creep Show. So it's you know, dear listeners, <laughs> if you have are not familiar with Creep Show, it is a bizarre little film made by George Romero with the collaboration of Stephen King. In the effort to make a cinematic version of EC comics. So it's an anthology film with several short stories and uh, it's fun going back and watching it these days because a lot of people who had roles in that film uh, went on to do bigger and better things like most notably Ted Danson, who later went on to do Cheers. Um, He was nobody at that point of doing a creep show and uh, also great venerated uh, cult actors of the 1970s and sometimes the next 1960s. So you got like Hal Hallbrook in it and Fritz Weaver and Adrian Barbeau, Adrian Barbeau and all that stuff. So there are these fun little uh, uh, horror tales in the vein of EC comics where they have this old school morality to them where, you know, don't, don't do wrong in your life or else the zombies will get you that sort of, you know, kind of dark justice sort of thing. And I bring up Creepshow because the the final segment of the film is one of the most um, effective in terms of horror. And it features... Oh, crud. Uh... David, help me out. I can't remember the actor's name. He's great. Well, what's the oh, name? E.B. Uh, e. Edgar G. Marshall. E.B. Marshall. E.B. Marshall. E.G. E.G. Marshall. E.G. Marshall. E.G. Marshall. Oh, from They're Creeping Up on You? Creeping Up yes. on You. Exactly. So this final segment is just goes straight for the darkness. And it is E.G. Marshall alone in his apartment. He is playing this role of a... Um, 
a billionaire tycoon, kind of of the uh, Howard Hughes sort of vibe, where he's running the world and he has a bazillion dollars, but he's OCD and he has trapped himself in his own container. So he has this apartment which is white. It's all white and it's a clean room and he's wearing these white scrubs with these like disposable footies and he is obsessed with keeping everything absolutely pristine and he's doing all these uh, phone calls and moving money around and he's clearly an asshole and he's very crass to the people who, who works, who work with him and tolerate him. And he, in the midst of, of screwing people over by phone. <laughs> the power goes out in the building. And first of all, he freaks out because this is something he has no power over. And he, you know, tries to manipulate other people into, you know, getting the power back on, into, you know, helping him bring back order to his world. But as this all goes down, cockroaches start appearing in his apartment. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Just like, you know, he finds one here, finds one there during this evening. And he's, and he, of course he freaks out because this place is supposed to be like hermetically sealed. He should not, there should be no germs. There should be no insects. This should be a perfect space for him. And, slowly as he's trying to manipulate people into helping him out and bring the power back on and take care of the bugs, he's finding more and more insects. Like he pours out some cereal to try and eat some cereal and cockroaches just erupt out of it and, no. and just more yeah. and more and more. And eventually the apartment just starts filling up with insects and he winds up locking himself in a room and literally the, the, the room is starting to fill up with bugs. And the segment then, you know, as he freaks out, ultimately he's, he's reached his breaking point. He passes out, whatever the, the segment jumps forward in time a little bit and he's laying on the floor He's probably dead, and one of his uh, much beleaguered co-workers, or, you know, like the su the superintendent of the building, whoever he was, uh, comes back up to the door, is trying to contact him. It's like, I, I think I have a solution to your problem. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Eh, he old bastard, and wanders off. And the, the body, which you think is dead, the skin starts to move. Oh, God. Blech. And bugs start crawling out of the skin. <laughs> and and this is pretty much the, the ending swipe of the movie. And it is incredibly visceral. And... You know, for being an anthology film, Creepshow, like all anthology films, it kind of suffers from the, some segments are really good, some segments are like, eh, not so great. And this is the the ending blow of the movie, and it's George Romero at some of his finest work. It's really potent, and the the imagery is hard to escape. Very striking stuff. 
<laughs> I yeah, don't want to talk about it anymore. But, <laughs> but I think it's it's a really it's a very simple story. I, I mean, the reason it's so potent it's, it's it's a very simple story, and it's all about the the walls we build to keep nature out, and it's still going to come in, no matter what we do. Think about yeah. That. I mean, I think that's a, I think that that you know shows you the level of sophistication that that um that these kind of things can work when you go back and you look at tales from the crypt Mm -hmm. um for instance i think you get that uh to a degree and um well tales from the crypt was an ec property i mean that is exactly what they're trying to get you know yeah bring forth in the movie yeah and i mean I'll, i'll go you one better i don't think there are any any not good segments in in uh uh creep show i think they're all great oh i and i agree i mean all... they're they're good to great i would say like father's day is a little weak you know the opening one it's like eh. i mean it, it's good it's good but it's not like it's not the crate and it's not they're it's not the crate anymore. yeah the, cr- the crate so few brilliant. things are the crate i love the crate oh. <laughs> Uh, the crate is a great segment too for this uh, this uh, podcast. I mean, I I immediately thought of they're creeping up on you, but now I think about it, the crate, um, which is personally my favorite. It is the story of this. Um, okay, so there are a few faculty at this college. There's a professor and another fellow professor. And, you know, one of them is played by Hal Hallbrook and he has this really domineering wife played by, um, Adrian Barbeau in just full bitch fashion. And, uh, his friend is Fritz Weaver, who's another professor. And at this university, one of their coworkers finds he, or uh, one of the janitors, he's in the basement and he's cleaning something. He's cleaning the floor and he drops a quarter and it rolls under the stairs and into this grate underneath the stairs. And he tries to fish the quarter out and he realizes there's a crate under there. And the crate is marked with the year like 1825 Arctic expedition. And he goes, Oh, well, that's interesting. So he calls in one of the professors and the two of them, open up the crate and there's something alive in there. Namely something that eats people. As you do. As you do. You know, this thing hasn't had a meal since 1825, so it's hungry. So it eats one of them. And of course the other guy goes running out screaming and it, it winds. The, the beautiful thing about it is that it's, it turns out to be less about the monster and more about the motivations of one of the characters because the the friend he calls in for help um, sees the obvious power and destruction of this animal and he goes, huh, I wonder if I could get rid of my domineering wife. Oh, yeah. I yeah. That. Yeah. And uh, the, the plot moves forward from there and it's it's fascinating, and uh, I have a lovely side story about that segment because the um, the the person who made the the creature suit for that segment was Tom Savini. Yes, <laughs> and Tom Savini, being Tom Savini, uh, apparently decks his house out for Halloween every year. Of course, <laughs> and so one fine Halloween, he was you know 
you know, giving candy to kids and, you know, scaring the bejesus out of them. And some kids were apparently giving him trouble in being pranksters. And so he goes, (laughs) so he goes out in the back garage and he realizes he still has Fluffy. Fluffy being the suit from Creepshow. Yep. The big wild haired monster in the crate. So he puts on the Fluffy mask and, you know, parts of the costume and he goes bolting out of his garage at the kids and they just freak out scream and run away no more problem and so he walks back into the house very satisfied with himself and then um as he walks back into the house he catches a view of himself in a full-length mirror by the door and he realizes that while he is wearing like the head and shoulders of fluffy he is still wearing like a bathrobe and bunny slippers (laughs) 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 Uh, also i own one of the original pages of art that bernie Wrightson drew for the creep show comic book from the crate so i have a great great love of that story anyway i do that's that's the one piece of bernie Wrightson art i I thought of something else that would fit this theme and that would be sick girl on the episode of masters of horror okay so sick girl uh directed by lucky mckee who did may which is an amazing horror movie and you should watch it immediately if you don't know what it is um yeah sick girl is interesting for a lot of reasons so uh, go ahead wendy you brought it up um I just, I, this is just a quick shout out, but mm-hmm. Sick Girl is about a girl who, uh, uh, a scientist who is an entomologist, mm-hmm. as it turns out, and um, some a colleague sends her a very special specimen of something, some sort of bug. Mm-hmm. It seems arachnid-ish. And uh, yeah, then the things go different from that point on like the the arachnid has the bug does things and then things are fucked up and i don't even want to talk about it like you should just watch it it's only an hour long just watch it it's it's a quick it's it's an aperitif yeah it's an aperitif aperitif just watch it it's called sick girl you can it's part of the masters of horror um oeuvre i feel like you could probably find it on youtube it's yeah. season two. And it, and it stars Angela Bettis and she's terrific. She is terrific. I, the thing I love about that particular Masters of Horror episode is that the the script was originally written for the lead scientist to be male with his mm-hmm. girlfriend. And Lucky McKee realized that the best actress best actor he knew was Angela Bettis, so he just cast her in the male lead. <laughs> And so didn't change but, anything. And didn't change anything else. So she has this um this very atypical role and a, a fem- female partner. And it's just interesting to watch. I really liked it. Yeah, it's really delightful. And Angela Bettis is terrific. And mm-hmm. it's dark and creepy and quirky. Very quirky. Yeah. Much recommended. That's a throwaway. What are we going quirky. on to next, Melissa? Oh, Wendy, Wendy what? Quirky. He's just saying quirky over and over again. I feel like we might have broken David. Mm. Quirky. Wendy, you should talk about a monster movie. Okay, I'm going to talk about a... I have two monster movies I love, but I love one way much, much more than the other. They were both made in 1999. They are Lake Placid and Deep Blue Sea. So to do the .5... Since I did a shout-out to Sick Girl, I'll do a quick shout-out to Deep 
to Deep Blue Sea. Mm -hmm. I love Deep Blue Sea. This is the movie that Jurassic World wishes it was. It's true. Because Jurassic World took itself way too fucking seriously, and Deep Blue Sea put its pin on the map already with the whole... Well, that was a dumb idea, literally, because in Deep Blue Sea, you get Sam the Man Jackson saying it. Wait, you gave, you were engineering sharks to be more intelligent, and nobody thought this was a dumb idea. <laughs> right? So Deep Blue Sea, it's one of, like, there was a whole raft of, like, deep sea movies and sharks attacking people movies in the 19 late 1990s deep blue sea was one of them and it got a little lost in the shuffle but let me tell you folks if you're a fan of the ridiculous action horror disaster movie like if you like the core you should watch deep blue sea sure. just saying true right super great super great i just there's my other 0.5 shout out <laughs> <laughs> to keep things moving. Okay. Cause what I really want to talk to you about, what I really fucking love, <laughs> I love Lake Placid of course you so do. much. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you get Betty White cursing like a goddamn sailor. That's hilarious. Right. But what you fucking love is a giant crocodile. <laughs> yes. Ah! It's a giant, and it's, oh my God. And it's got Oliver Platt. I mean, Oliver Platt just runs away from the movie, but Oliver Platt and Brendan Gleeson, I would ship those two so hard in this movie. I can't even tell you. Oh, they would have right. They would have beautiful gay sex together because oh. their hate relationship is a love relationship waiting to happen. It really is. Because that- Brendan Gleeson's all like, Crocodiles are crocodiles don't swim in salt. <laughs> Great, I'm drunk. Crocodiles don't swim in salt water. And then Oliver Platt's like, "Well, that'll just be your little secret." <laughs> <laughs> It's such a great script. I mean, you also get Bill Pullman and Bridget Fonda, and they're kind of wonderfully snarky together. But really, once Oliver Platt, like Brendan Gleeson shows up and you're like, I kind of am in love. And then Oliver Platt shows up and you're like, oh, my God, I need to take off my clothes and touch myself. This movie is terrific. I I am (sighs) always all for Oliver Platt. It's so good. And then and then Betty White is just the rainbow sprinkles on the top. <laughs> you're all you're cocksuckers. You're all cocksuckers. I knew it the minute I saw you. Oh, it's so good. And I mean, like, the actual crocodile looks pretty good. I haven't rewatched it recently, but like the special effects are pretty good. Yeah, but also you're just like, that's a fucked up big crocodile. Like, it- and you stop and think about it, you're like, that's fucked up. Yeah. Like that's a little bit terrifying. And it's, so it's a really fun giant monster movie, slightly scary, but you're laughing movie. And this is another one that definitely succeeds on the comedy front. Oh, totally. Totally. It it is a lot of fun. It is a lot. Well, I mean, and most of the modern nature strikes back movies have a lot of comedy in them. Mm -hmm. Um, Comedy that we talk about with the seventies ones is pretty, Ah, um, oh, darn it. One technical difficulty later. I'm going to point out that Lake Placid was written by David E. Kelly, who, of course, was the writer for Ally McBeal and Boston Legal and L.A. Law. So there's a reason why this film is snappy and funny. 
because he was very much at the height of his powers when he made this, when he wrote this. So good. Indeed, so. indeed. That that explains a lot, really. So we have one more movie. Movie. That David movie. definitely wants to tell us about and I want him to talk about because this okay, is... Okay, is this really our last movie? This is... We're going to wrap up on this one. Okay. Which, oh, yes. What movie is it? What movie is it? David? This movie is a movie that almost none of your listeners will have heard of. Um, it uh, came out in 1972 and it won the Academy Award for uh, documentary um, that year. Uh, actually, it's listed in 1971 in the uh, IMDb. But uh, I think that it won the Documentary Academy Award in 1972. It is called The Hellstrom Chronicle. Um, there are a couple of other documentaries that almost made our list of Nature Strikes Back's movies. One of them is Werner Herzog's Grizzly, Grizzly Man. Man. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's absolutely apropos. There's there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with that, and uh, there's like a whole there's a whole body of work. You know, um, uh, I think of uh, Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. Oh yeah, uh, is a really mm, interesting yeah. book. You want to start to talk about you know things that um, are you know in as as part of the body of literature of Nature Strikes Back thought and narrative or whatever. But um, the Hellstrom Chronicle is basically a scientist explaining um, the, the savagery and the efficiency of the, of the insect world by taking you in as close as cameras were able to go at that time. Um, And it's creepy as hell. It is basically him talking about how uh, superior insects are as a life form and how we're sort of all, you know, bound to sort of become their slaves almost. Um, and there's just a lot of, uh, almost non-documentary narrative, uh, overlay in the film that makes you a little unsure of what you are watching, but because the film plugged into the zeitgeist, the way that it did, addressing um topics of uh you know what we were doing to the environment and the implications that could have for us and for other species on earth um and and comparing you know inviting the comparison between insect and man it uh, uh very much belongs in the nature strikes back category oh absolutely. interesting thing interesting thing about this is um they use a clip from a film called If It's Tuesday, This Must Be Belgium. Um, yeah, that happens to star uh, Suzanne Plachette and one of my favorite, favorite actors, Ian McShane. Ian McShane. Uh, so, you know, another move, another reason to go get this, this documentary. It's uh, from Olive Films, by the way, you can get it. Um, and uh, there's uh, also an actor named Lawrence Pressman. Lawrence Pressman um, whew, what's he known for? He's, he's got like a, over 150 credits. One of those He's guys. been in tons of movies. He's in the American pie movies. He's in the original version of shaft. Uh, mm. you will recognize him from TV. If, uh, if you look him up, he is just one of those actors. who's always sort of been around and it's funny to think of him, uh, as the quote scientist unquote, that is kind of predicting the doom of mankind in this documentary 
uh, uh, unquote. Uh, great, great, great uh, uh, actor, and uh, he's had a really stellar career. Uh, the other thing of note about this film is that uh, it is uh, has the music uh, of Lalo Schifrin oh, in it. Lalo Schifrin and, is so great. You know, Lalo and, Schifrin's living legend. And so 70s. Very <laughs> so 70s. very 70s. This movie is like the perfect uh, a platform for him. Uh, you know, bugs eating other bugs and all this micro photography and these alien other looking creatures. And you can almost hear the wah, wah, wah. And the I think I even heard a little bit of wah. So, you know, there's just uh, so much of an alien landscape. So it's like more this. of a, a a sinister version of microcosm. It's like a sinister version of microcosm. Microcosm is kind of like the movie that you think of Richard Simmons had his kids, had kids. He would show his kids that version. Yeah. You know, and then make them move around like the bugs. You mm -hmm. know, this is uh, this is more the movie that you, you know, play um, on a first date, you know, when you. Because <laughs> if she doesn't uh, flee, she's meant for you. That's right. That's right. She's a great lass. Keep her around. <laughs> Tell you what, I don't know why I'm talking like this right now, but I am. <laughs> no, I'm done. Are you um, done? Are I'm you done? done? I'm done. The two greatest words in 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 the Scottish language are done and whore. <laughs> Whore. <laughs> whore. Whore. Are you done, you whore? Are you I am so glad I whore? have that on a recording now. This is great. Oh, I am. Um, I was again. having what? to work on a module where the salespeople had to record, and one of them was from Scotland. And everything he said, I was repeating to myself <laughs> with his adorable <laughs> Scottish accent. Cumbria, myself, and my sales team. It's so cute. I love the myself. Words. I've decided to keep to just use myself. 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 Myself is good. I like that one. <laughs> myself. Like I'll that be go I'm gonna go down to H E B myself. <laughs> Let us wrap okay. up. Let us wrap up. Yes. What do okay. we what do we love about these Nature Strikes Back movies? What what draws us to them? Well, I'll say that what's always drawn me to this uh, is that cinema, television, have always been places since a young age that I was able to go and receive reinforcement for the idea of the limitations of man. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're a kid, everybody wants you to think everything is going to be okay. And the problem is everything isn't going to be okay. Right. <laughs> I remember those. I remember those. 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 Those gay ads. You know, from a, a couple of years ago. It gets better. You know. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, it really doesn't. It might uh, not. It might not. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's life. Life is something to grapple with, and life is something to be. You know, you're grateful for the great moments. You're grateful for the joy, but. There's a lot of struggle in life and things that keep us alive and awake to the truth is um, 
are things that are telling us we're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Nature Strikes Back is telling us a story. And the uh, whole idea of being told a story is that there's another person there um, uh, to connect with and to bond with and to share with uh, and to work with, to work toward something meaningful. And I don't think the point of Nature Strikes Back cinema, at least the really great Nature Strikes Back cinema, is that mankind is fucked. <laughs> I think, I think the, the point of it is that we have the opportunity to, to self-examine and we have the opportunity to question and we have the opportunity to draw, you know, attention to things that ought to have attention drawn to them, like the use of atomic, uh, uh, bombs or the, you know, polluting, uh, or deforestation. Um, you know, I mean, as horrible of a movie as it is, the happening, which I like to call, which I like to call, the crapening uh, is uh, is in its own way still saying something very worthwhile. The trees, and, uh, the trees. <laughs> God, yeah, like if it was a fifties horror film, it would be the trees exclamation point. It's oh. true. Like, is that what is that what it's saying? The um, trees. So <laughs> that would be my take on it. Um, it, it's it's timeless and it keeps coming back. I and I, I hope we enter a period that's even richer than the seventies. You would think with all of this worry about global warming and everything. I do know the film The Last Winter oh, yeah. by Larry Fen, uh, Fessenden is a film we haven't mentioned, and I think that ranks as a classic of uh, Nature Strikes Back cinema and one of the few modern ones. So let's hope we see some more films of that caliber. Indeed. Yeah, I just like Nature Strikes Back as an excuse to never actually go out in nature. <laughs> <laughs> like to justify my fear of things. <laughs> no, I don't want to swim in that lake. You don't know what's down there. That's, Nessie. That's, Nessie could be down there. No, no, even worse, Kandiru. Yeah. Eliza, why do you say these things? Because I was trained in biology. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like it. All right. Uh, it is time to ask you. Well, hey, hey, I didn't get a chance. Oh, I apologize. So, and, and my take on it is that um, it's a cautionary tale wherein if you don't take care of nature, nature will fuck your shit up. <laughs> yes. It's true. Nature oh. will course correct. And if course correcting means fucking you up the ass, nature will do it. Like that bear. Yes. Like exactly like, like that bear short, in the Revenant that did not do that to Leonardo DiCaprio. Succinct and uh and vulgar. I, I love it. It's 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 perfect for uh perfect for our episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm a trained scientist, man. I know how to do this shit. <laughs> Short, succinct, and vulgar is actually my personal tagline. <laughs> is, that your, is that your Tinder profile? Is that that is my Tinder profile. Short, Swipe succinct, right. and vulgar. Swipe right. Swipe right. Run, Run Swipe away. Right. No. Run. No. Yes. Yes. Put All away right. that shillelagh. <laughs> I'm going to be doing with you, Yahoo. Right. <laughs> you don't scare me. You don't scare me, you wee. Yo, we lass. Look at that. Your head's so large. It's like an orange on a toothpick. 
<laughs> it's quite large, like Sputnik. <laughs> it's like Sputnik. It has its own weather system. Ah, it's, what are you going to do now? Go home and cry yourself to sleep on your great big pillar? <laughs> it's round and spherical and pointy in parts. <laughs> All right, that's, let's just let you guys go, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, dear David, yeah. we we have the questions to ask yeah. you. The questions, dun dun dun. The questions. Ask me these don't, questions three. Don't worry, yeah, they're yeah, don't worry, nice. they're easy. There there are four questions. Four. There are only four. Okay. And they're so easy. And the first one is, who are you? Who am I? It's one of the deepest questions, uh, really. It really is. It, it's both simple and hard. Well, I would say that I'm a man, but I'm not sure that in this age of politically correct gender fluidity that that's still okay for me to say. Yes, it is. Whatever you fucking I'm identify kidding. with is fine. I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't use that. That was long. I should have said that. Uh, you can just say your name. FYI. It's fine. Just say you're David. Just say you're David. I am. I am Dave. Okay, Dave. Okay, that's Dave. good. That's good. Dave, what do you do? Oh, jeez, it's a stumper. <laughs> I do many things. I do many things. But most of all, I do that which must be done. Nicely said. Nicely phrased. And I don't complain. Mm. So, David, if you were to create a pleasure dome for yourself, a man cave, a person cave, you know, to be all inclusive, uh, a, a room or a vast cavern filled with things that gave you joy that you would like to share with other people, what would be in that room? Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Bleak House. Very nice. Very nice. Anything else? Yeah. You can One put more. whatever the fuck you want in it. It's yours. Guillermo del Toro. No. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, oh, I like this. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, a fantastic fest that, uh, and a time tunnel between uh, years. <gasps> oh. So I could just follow it out, you know, each year, every day, wake up and it would be fantastic fest if I wanted it to be. <gasps> um, I would probably have uh, the like like a thing that would generate like something that tastes like cold ravioli out of the can, <laughs> like the um, that I could just eat at will without you know getting fat uh, and having cholesterol issues. Oh, that's I best. would. <laughs> I would. Um, lastly, um, and perhaps more importantly. Um, I think that I would have this, um, ability to string a question along forever. Oh my God, seriously, have stop. no <laughs> sense of <laughs> stop. propriety 
about other people's time. Have you ever heard the term uh, enough there. rope? <laughs> why? Why, God, why? What did I do? I mean, I know what I did, but was it really worth this? It was. It Dana was. You're going to have great dreams tonight, I'll tell you that. Lassie. Oh, Lassie. Will they Look involve out. Julian Sands? Yes. They'll, they'll Julian Sands, and then maybe once you get off the beach, you can go somewhere else. It'll be great. Julian Mountains. Yeah. Mountains. Ah. <laughs> Julian, Julian Mighty Rivers. Rivers. Oh, rivers. Oh, 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 with their powerful fluid. Well, um, Julian Shorts. Right. Great Charlene Fenn in a box. Can we stop bringing up Julian Sands? Um, no. what do you- uh, okay, David, last question. <laughs> Last question. Holy shit. Last question. Mm, that's not a okay. question. Okay. Do you have a recommendation for our communal pleasure dome? So what is one thing that recently has made you happy and you're like, other people should know about this? This could be media-based as in music or video, movies, what game, whatever. It could be anything. It could be a t-shirt, socks. We've had people recommend vegetables. I'm not kidding. So – what would you like to recommend to our listeners as something that would bring them joy? In all seriousness, I recently um, took back to working with the disabled. Um, and I uh, basically spend 40 hours a week and plus uh, hanging out with people who have Down syndrome and CP and uh, other intellectual uh, challenging um, disabilities. And what I have learned is that um, all of the things that I associate with culture that I get so much out of, and I do get a lot out of all that stuff, um, uh, are limited in their ability to help me to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. I think so often it becomes easy to picture our Xanadu, our pleasure dome as something that is just about us. And I think honestly, it doesn't matter what you put in your pleasure dome, because if it's just about you and the things you're interested in, you aren't going to be challenged. You aren't going to grow. Um, and without people that challenge you, uh, to love, um, and and challenge you to work through your your dark side. You're never gonna you're you're not gonna have any stories worth telling. Right. And uh, ultimately, I hope that's you know the one thing I don't leave out of my my Xanadu uh, is is uh, you know the stories that, that that only I can tell. A true human connection. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank but now you. you've. You, like that was deep and meaningful and sweet and heartfelt. And now all my snark has left the room. <laughs> <laughs> You've chased right. Wendy away. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like Peter Pan's shadow. I just crept into the room and she saw me and she tried to pin me to the floor. And instead I did something else. I don't know. That got strange. Yeah, you know, you have to be you have to be brave enough to just be a one weird motherfucker. If you're brave to do enough to do that, you know. You didn't see my wedding, did you? 
I saw part of it. It was oh, really interesting. Yay! Yay! Your wedding was the best, Melissa. I, I really enjoyed my cake. wedding. <laughs> if you could please bring your samurai sword down to Fantastic Fest for all of our cutting needs during Fantastic Fest this next year, that would make me happy. Sober Melissa, make a note. <laughs> I, I will totally do that. Do you, uh, Melissa, do you have a pleasure dome recommendation for this week, or oh, do you shit. need a moment to consider? Mm. Oh shit, that's not oh, up on you. Shit. Uh, yes, I need a moment to consider. Please proceed. <laughs> I have a pleasure dome recommendation. So, I have a podcast to recommend. Um, I feel like anybody listening to this show, there is a high Venn, gra- Venn diagram overlap to the point of it probably just being a goddamn circle with the West Wing. Well, mm. Joshua Molina, who, of course, was on seasons five through seven of the West Wing and was on Sports Night, which was the um, series that Alan Sorkin wrote previous to. And uh, actually, Joshua Molina was in the original Broadway cast of A Few Good Men. That's how he first met Aaron Sorkin. Anyway, Joshua Molina has decided to create a weekly podcast called The West Wing Weekly, wherein he, and um, I don't know this fellow's name, he does the Sound Exploder podcast. Um, I'm going to pull it up on my computer real quick so I can see. In the show notes. Well, I want to say this guy's name because it's not like it's just Josh's. It's definitely a partnership, but I can't remember the other guy's name. Uh, It's Rish, Rish, Rish. Uh, yeah, because it's Rishikesh Irway, and they call him Rish. So the two of them are doing a podcast every week, and they are starting at the pilot and watching in order every episode of The West Wing, which means this thing is going to be on for like the next, what, 10 years? <laughs> and they are bringing on guests to talk about it as well. They've already had Dulé Hill. They're going to have one of the writers on soon. They just started, which means you are not very far behind. And they, they're like, oh, please watch the episode and then listen to our podcast so that we can all be on the same page together. And they're only on like episode three at this point, which is oh. mid-April. By the time this goes up there, you're still not going to be that far behind. And Joshua Molina, oh, you don't know when this is going to go up. I have no idea. Uh, um, Joshua Molina, by the way, he's exactly like his character. Uh, like listening, listening to him on this podcast is just like listening to him as Jeremy Goodwin on Sports Night. <laughs> like you're like, oh my god, I'm just listening to this character. He's snarky, educated, like incredibly witty, but still delightful. So there's my recommendation: The West Wing Weekly listeners seek it out it's delicious excellent Excellent. melissa do you have one i do uh though first of all i would like to say my team of co-workers in mumbai india recommend the jungle book the disney the john favreau yeah they've seen it and they like it which i find very interesting it's like so it's like how, how do you guys feel about rudyard kipling Oh, they like him. Okay, that's good. So, I, or at least they uh, like this story by him. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So, uh, my personal recommendation is rope sandals. Sandals made out of rope. <laughs> because 
I had some of those when I was like 20. And I and was working, working at a fest? Silver Dollars. I was working at Silver Dollar City. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you very much. But yeah. everybody had them out at the Renaissance Festival that yes. season too. Yes. Yeah, because you, you, you could not afford the leather boots. What? So therefore you buy the rope sandals and and then uh, it rains and they're miserable. But well, see, that's where you did it wrong. See, I got soap on a rope sandals, um, which I mean, you know, I bet, then of course I bet they, you can skate really well with those. Yeah, those were they were slippers then, so you know, it's kind of like oh god. But I will just let that one settle. <laughs> Who invited so, this guy? I did. <laughs> And I am proud. So, uh, rope <laughs> sandals, dear listeners. Why does this come up now in your life, Melissa? Because I'm buying my fourth pair in my lifetime. <laughs> they were super comfortable that they summer. They are. I remember that. They're amazingly comfortable. Don't wear them in the rain. Don't wear them anywhere wet. If they are kept dry, they're the most amazing sandals you have ever worn because they conform to your feet. They feel like you're you're walking barefoot on things, you know, that comfort of being barefoot. And yet uh, you're not actually in contact with the ground and the sharp shit that lives on the ground. So um, and they've got pretty good traction. Yeah, and they've got good traction. And where are you uh, buying these from? Because I haven't seen them in forever. There are a couple of websites you can actually... Uh, there, there are a couple of brands that actually sell through Amazon. The one that I go through is Gerkies, and I go straight to their website because their sizes are limited on Amazon. So just go straight to the website. They have free shipping. Um, you can get a pair for like 40 bucks, and they have various different styles, various different colors. Um, there is no stitching involved with the um, with the rope sandals. They are made entirely of rope. Like there's no rubber sole or anything. It's all rope, and they're uh, like sealed together with heat and all that. So they're um, you know, just super super comfortable to wear because they just conform to your feet and they're all you know all fiber. <laughs> But yeah, this is like the fourth pair that I've gotten from them and they last for like six, seven years for me. And then it's like, oh, they're starting to fall apart. I buy a new pair and I'm comfortable again for another six, seven years. I don't know. Six, seven years, six or seven years. Yeah. Your fiber should keep you more regular than that. That's. that's uh, uh, oh, dear David. I've never seen you wearing these, Melissa. I don't recall them ever being on your feet. Oh, I wear them around um, some the last couple of years. I haven't brought the pair that I have around just because they've, they've been starting to fall apart. And I keep forgetting. Every time I put them on, I go, oh, they're so comfortable, but they're starting to fall apart. I need to get more. And then it never did. I finally placed the order like two days ago. So I'm going to get a new pair. Mm. I will be wearing them everywhere this summer and I will be so happy. Mm, Guys, I got to yeah. tell you good night. Yep. Yeah. yeah, we're wrapping it up. It's good. It's good. Okay, so boogie flippy. Okay. All right. All right. We're gonna, it's time for us to say good night. Yes. Nerd. Melissa, take us on home. All right. Thank you, dear listeners, to what the fuck was that? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, dear yeah. listeners, for joining us on Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I have been Melissa, and as always, I have been joined by the lovely and distant Windy. And we thankfully have been joined by the amazing David. Please say goodnight, David. 
Good night. He's erudite and witty, but punny, unfortunately, as well. And also very tired, so we need to release him into the wild. (laughs) So... Thank you for joining us, David, and uh, we will have you back on soon, because there are many other things we need to talk to you about. Yes. We need to to talk about bad religious movies. We need to talk about Satan. Yes. Satan. Satan. I'm all about it, yo. (laughs) Satan. Yes. So so let that be a preview for for future I will rock your world if you want to talk about the devil in movies. Oh, God. Rock you like a hurricane. And we'll just leave it at that. Have a good night, dear listeners, or good day, or good evening. Good morning. Hmm. Bye. Bye. Goodbye, listeners. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Attack of the, the killer, killer tomatoes. tomatoes! Attack of the killer tomatoes!